<laughs> Welcome to 2018. <laughs> We're going for some humor here. Uh, yes, it's good to be here. It's good to worship. Hey, um, before I start my sermon this morning, I want to um, just say uh, a jaw dropper for you in our local context. Um, God is so good. And uh, the power of prayer is so real. And as I say that, I just want to remind you that we'll be here tonight at 7 o'clock praying. And you might think, well, that's the NFC wildcard game. Yeah, but nobody cares about the NFC. It's only the AFC, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to step on toes. But we'll be here praying tonight at 7 o'clock. I hope that you'll consider joining us. I want to give you a little report. If you look on the back of your bulletin... For our finance update, I have really, really great news. If you look at the uh, year-to-date operating, it says our budget needed year-to-date $725,000 last year. Or seven, yeah, $725,000. The next number is a typo. The total received was really the five and the zero switched. $750,000. And down below where it says building fund, we needed 282 last year. That's not a typo. We received $307,000. We received over 49,000 more dollars than what we budgeted for last year and we didn't even spend our whole budget. Wow. Is God amazing? My jaw dropped. <laughs> and that doesn't even count those who, uh, if some of you know, some folks gave ahead for the new year. It does not count those numbers. Those numbers are counted in 2018. God is good. God is good. Let's read uh, our scripture this morning. We're going to read out of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus is going to say some jaw-dropping stuff here. John chapter 6, starting with verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. And here is, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. But for my, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Friends, this is God's word for us today. 
Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you that it really is from you and that it's trustworthy and true. Thank you that we can stake our lives on this. And thank you that when it says challenging things like what we just read here today, that we know that if we dig, we can learn more. Thank you, God. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bills are in the playoffs. I'm aware of that. I just want you to know. And I see some of you are decked out. That's good. And uh, 17 years of drought uh, deserves that. Um, I just want to say that the Titans quarterback, uh, Marcus Mariota's uh, touchdown pass to himself yesterday was a job dropper. I've never seen a quarterback throw a touchdown to himself before in order to win a game. It was very exciting. Uh, I I also want you to know, and this does my heart good, that uh, when the Bills beat the Dolphins last week in Miami, that was was obviously great. And of course, when the Bengals beat the Ravens uh, at the the last minute there with the Andy Dalton pass, and Andy Dalton's the most popular guy in uh, Buffalo these days. And by the way, I think People from Buffalo have given more than $250,000 to his, um, uh, his charity because, in Cincinnati because of that touchdown pass. Okay, anyway, that was a jaw dropper, but here's what really made me happy. I was sitting in New Hampshire amongst an entire group of Patriots fans who had just won their, their game and... Um, and um, They exploded with cheers, whooping. I've never heard them be more loud when that Bengals game was won. It was was like the most satisfying thing in my life to see all these Patriots fans cheering that the Bills had won, or that the Bills are in the playoffs. It was was awesome. It was jaw-dropping as well. I'd never seen that kind of thing happen before. Well, the Bible is full of jaw-dropping surprises as well, and um, some of them are interesting. They're, they're like amazing miracles, like the army of angels, which uh, protects uh, Elijah and the city of Dothan from uh, the enemy, the king of Aram uh, in the Old Testament. Um, some of them are things like Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead for four days in the grave. Uh, Peter and John, by the power of God, heal the lame man who's by the beautiful gate. Those are jaw-dropping moments for the people who are there. And frankly, if you've heard those stories 800 times, you're like, uh-huh, yeah, I've heard that. No, own it. Those are amazing things. Like, if that happened in front of you, your jaw would drop. Mine would as well. Some, are very, some of these jaw-dropping things are very pleasant surprises about God. I think it's jaw-dropping that God cares about us and loves us, that he cares about the poor and the needy and that he works to help them, that he intervenes in this world to help us. He loves us so much that he sacrifices himself that we might have eternal life. That is jaw-dropping and encouraging and exciting and, and, and that, that's, that's good. It feels good. But some surprises that we find in Scripture are, are challenging. They're shocking. We read it and think, uh, I'm just going to skip over that. 
I'm not going to really think about that too much. I mean, how often do you read your Bible and you come to something you don't understand? You're like, mm, let's just keep going. It's, it's a pretty easy thing to do. Some passages are hard because they're difficult to understand. When Paul says, women will be saved through childbearing. What does he mean? I've never, it's, it's obvious that it cannot mean women have to have children in order to be eternally saved. That is not what it means. But what does it mean? It's complicated. And, and uh, commentators and scholars argue over lots of things like that. There are some passages where we're just like, I, I don't really, I confess, I don't really know what that means. Others are hard because, not, not because they're difficult to understand, they're hard because they're so easy to understand. Like when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Unfortunately, I understand that really well. And, and, and that's a hard thing. And Jesus demonstrates it when he's on the cross and the very people who are killing him, the very people who are torturing him, he is praying for them. And he is actually showing love for them because his sacrifice will offer salvation. It will be an opportunity for all to have salvation, including them. Mark Twain used to say, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. A lot of truth in that. But if we dig a little deeper and we figure out what some of these challenging passages mean, we can learn more about the character of God about who he is and what he expects, and it can change our lives for the good. We can understand God better. We can understand ourselves better. We can understand the nature of the world better. And so that's why it's worth it to dig on these passages. And I want to give F.F. Um, F. Bruce, who's a scholar, um, some uh, um, credit here for some of the um, good things that he says that I'm sharing with you today. He wrote a great book called Hard Sayings of Jesus. If you uh, are ever into exploring some of the challenging um, texts in scripture. That's a great book to look to. Well, let's look to our scripture this morning. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. What can he possibly mean? What is going on with these words? These words, if we stop and think about them, are shocking. These are genuinely shocking words. I mean, if you just think about it literally, we would all be repulsed, grossed out. No, what is Jesus saying? Well, let's just, I hope, say the obvious, that this is not a literal act that Jesus is talking about. He is not promoting cannibalism. That's what I'm trying to say there. Jesus is not saying that that's a great idea. Early Christians, by the way, were accused of cannibalism by their uh, Roman neighbors because they heard about all these times when they got together and ate the flesh and drank the blood. And uh, they were accused of that. It's not promoting cannibalism, that would be going against scripture, which clearly notes that human beings are distinctly made in the image of God and are not to be abused and or killed. Now, it does say that animals can be eaten, uh, but very clearly humans cannot. 
And scripture also describes, once again, if you think scripture is boring, here we go. Scripture describes several instances of cannibalism in which it's clear that it's an evil practice which is associated with being cursed. So if you're looking for a really good read, I recommend this. It has exciting, terrifying passages in it that uh, are challenging. But it's it's a situation which, in which people are cursed if they are experiencing it. And Jesus himself goes on a little bit later in verse 63 of, of this passage. And he says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the spirit and life. In other words, he goes on and says, look, what I'm talking to you about is spiritual stuff, not physical stuff. So no, he's not promoting cannibalism. But... When we just own how culturally offensive his words are, it is pretty shocking. Now, think about, I mean, we feel it, don't we? Like, if you think about those words. But for the Jews, it was especially shocking because they had this very strong prohibition about consuming any kind of blood. The folks around them, uh, that was some of their cultural practices. Uh, It was not uh, un- normal for that to happen. Most of us think that's pretty gross because we are influenced by the Judeo-Christian context. So the, the Bible has influenced us, and so we think, eh, that's, that's gross. But those folks did not necessarily feel that way. And, um, but the Jews, they, they had this strong uh, teaching, this is not allowed. And that even extended not uh, to not eating meat that had not yet had all the blood drained out of it. So it wasn't just blood itself. It was eating meat that still had some blood in it. So that was pretty gross for them to hear and pretty shocking. But to openly mention the drinking of human blood, that was appalling and frankly not to be mentioned. So when Jesus says this stuff, people are truly doing the double take and saying, what? What is he saying? Now imagine if you're in the crowd that day and this has been your teacher and he says that. How would you honestly react? I mean, this is shocking stuff. This gets at Jesus' teaching technique. He is not scared to say shocking things. Jesus was never concerned about making sure everyone understood him. Did you hear that? He was not concerned that everyone understood him. Now, I think he wanted everyone to understand him. I think in a sort of a deeper sense, he was concerned for it. But he was willing to chance the fact that some people might not be willing to stick with him long enough to really know what he meant. He was willing to chance that because he wanted to give people a challenge. He wanted them to dig. It kind of reminds me of um, when I was... uh, uh, several years ago, I hiked the Precipice Trail in um, Acadia National Park. And be, it's a trail that's very steep. It's, it's like rock climbing a lot of times. There's, sometimes there's bars in the rocks. And, and it's, it's like a 900-foot climb in, a, in half a mile or something. It's insane. It's, it's, really, it's up the face of this rock. So they don't want just anybody doing this. And so when you're hiking down the path to get there, they've brought the path to a place where it's completely impossible to go on either side, and it forces you to go over a boulder, which has a very hard uh, move that you have to do it. There's like a bar in the boulder, and you have to kind of 
get yourself up on that and pull yourself up and go over that, it's a really significant obstacle. In fact, it was much harder than anything that was up on the mountain. But the reason they put it there is because they said, if people are willing to go over this or, or can go over this, then they'll be fine on the mountain. That's what Jesus is doing. He's laying down this crazy statement and he's saying, if you're willing to work through this, you're going to find some really beautiful, wonderful stuff. But if you look at the challenge of that and you say, well, I'm walking away, then you'll miss out. He's not scared to put the challenge up that people might miss if they don't go through it. He's willing to use hyperbole. He's willing to make outrageous statements designed to make people's jaw drop to the ground. Did he just say what I think he said? He wasn't afraid to make people think hard and have to really pause and ponder on what he said. He challenged people's firmly held prejudices and convictions. He challenged what was considered common sense. This was normal stuff for Jesus. It, it, he, was, he must have been fascinating to listen to. I mean, we have the privilege of, of having the whole rest of the New Testament. We, we sort of can look in other places and go, oh, I see, there's a bigger picture here. The original folks didn't have that. But if they stuck with him, they found he had the words of life. As Peter says to him later in this chapter, he says, are, are you taken off too? He says, where would we go? You have the words of life. And we found you truly to be the Holy One. This is a, not a passage to be taken uh, literally about cannibalism, obviously. It's also, however, not a passage to be taken literally about communion. When he says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink, and unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, that's not an indication. He's not talking about communion. He's not saying, unless you take communion, you will not have real life in you. This is not a passage which is sort of a teaching which says, you better be serious about taking communion or you won't have eternal life. There are some Christians who don't take communion. Do you know what the Salvation Army does not practice communion? And I'm willing to say that they're Christians and, uh, and live in a powerful Christian witness. There is something more that goes on in communion than just a remembrance process. Christ is present, we are blessed by God because communion is a means of grace in which God blesses us and gives us strength and courage for each day. But we are not required to believe that the bread and juice of communion have to be the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. That's um, some denominations teachings, but it's not required. I don't, I don't believe at all from the text. So, the literalism is not necessary here. So obviously, something else is going on. There's the, what Jesus is saying is a metaphor for something. There's a spiritual meaning to these strange words. And it's really interesting. John, the Gospel of John, is the only gospel that doesn't tell us about taking communion. That's only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't get that in John. This passage uh, is um, what he wrote instead. This is uh, the last gospel written. John already knows that uh, communion, uh, Christians are practicing communion. He chooses to go for the spiritual meaning, and so he digs into what does it mean that Jesus is uh, 
flesh and blood are, are to be eaten in a sense. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the context. And when we look at the context, it's always important to remember, context is everything. If you don't understand what the context of a verse is, it's so easy for you to just completely miss the meaning of that verse. If you just take one little snippet, yeah, we see this all the time. Uh, we see this on the news all the time. If just one little snippet of what a person says is taken, then we're like, what? You have to understand in what context did they say that. <clears throat> uh, text, the text of the, of the Bible, without context, uh, scholars say, is pretext or it's, uh, it's uh, misunderstood. So <clears throat> the context here is that he has just participated in the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, who are on the side of the Lake of Galilee. And um, it's, it's a huge miracle. It's one of the few miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. And Jesus seems to want his disciples to learn a big lesson from that feeding of the 5,000 miracle. And, and that's this. You can trust me. I have enough. There is abundant life available in me. And remember, right after that, they get out on the lake and the, this storm comes up and they're all freaking out and they're like, don't, don't you care if we die? And he stands up and he calms the water and he goes, didn't you get it? Didn't you get it? You can trust me for abundant and true life. And he says to them then, in that context... Uh, of he's just fed the 5,000. So now he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, and I will give that which I will give for the whole world. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the whole world. Now, if you know the story of Jesus, you know, wow, he's talking, he's looking forward to the fact that he will sacrifice himself in order to save anyone who will become his follower. But he says here, I am the bread of life. This is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And he mentions it in the context of these other feeding incidents. He says, hey, remember your ancestors back in the wilderness when they ate manna? Guess what? It was real stuff. But it, it wasn't making them live forever. They still died. They still eventually died. He says, hey, also 5,000 people were just fed here. And that was real bread. And it was, in a sense, bread from heaven, just like the manna was bread from heaven. And yet, this bread is not bread for eternal life. These folks are still going to die. But I am the true bread, the true bread of God, which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am that bread. And it's in this context, he says, so unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. F.F. Bruce says, it's John's practice to quote these words from Jesus, which have a spiritual meaning, and then show how his original listeners totally missed the point. They, they miss what he's saying. So that then John goes back and allows him, Jesus, to say the same words again and explain them more. This is sort of a common device that John uses. 
Jesus says something, everyone goes, what? And then Jesus gets to say it again. And he really emphasizes it that way. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have not life in you. He's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration to make a shocking statement so that people will be will listen and then will say, I've got to dig on that. He can't possibly mean. What does he mean? And he's drawing them into the conversation that way. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Once again, F.F. Bruce. What we have in Jesus' strange language is a powerful metaphor stating that a share in the life of God, in other words, eternal life, is granted to those who have faith to come to Jesus, who in faith come to Jesus, who welcome them into his life, to enter into union with him. St. Augustine said it this way, believe and you have eaten. Isn't that good? I'm the bread of life, Augustine says. If you believe, you have eaten of him. Jesus is saying, I am not only the deliverer of the bread, I am the bread. And of course, every time he says, I am, he's triggering in the Jews that uh, reality, that back to uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Moses says, who should I say uh, sent me? And God says, you tell them, I am who I am sent you. That's God's name, I am. And Jesus says, I am the bread itself. I am the deliverer of this life to the world. True life, eternal life, is to be had in me alone. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He says that a little bit later, a little bit earlier in John 35. So, where are you today, at the beginning of 2018, on really listening and responding to Jesus. I mean, you and I could be sitting here thinking, boy, church is going to be over soon. I'm going to get back for that Bills game. That could be your attitude. But I want you to say, am I really listening to Jesus? I don't want to just hear a familiar passage and know, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Okay, we dug a little. Okay, we recognize there's some spiritual meaning. But then just walk away and forget about it. Are you open to Jesus really being your bread in 2018? It's interesting what happens immediately after this passage. Immediately upon saying these words, it says, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Would you blame them? They immediately say, this is crazy. Who can accept this? And then it says, For from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They looked that in the face and they said, mm, I can't do it. That's too crazy. And they walked away. People walked away from Jesus. People 
were in his presence and they walked away. It's easy, friends, as human beings, for us to walk away from Jesus, to say, no, you know, I'd really rather do it my own way. I, I like my life. I like having some religion in my life, but I don't want it to get, like, you know, out of hand. I don't want it to get controlling. I don't want it to start to take over my agenda. What I want to suggest to you is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, you're going to die without me. I'm your life. I'm the bread you need to eat in order to live. Yes, you need physical bread to live, but I'm the spiritual bread. And those who welcome me in, they're going to live forever. And those who don't, won't. It's 2018. It's a fresh start. If we recognize that Jesus is the bread of life, then is there anything more important than our spiritual growth this year? Is there anything that we need to be more prioritizing in our lives? Because your job, your job, that'll disappear someday. I'm not saying it's unimportant. It's very important. But it's not your life. Even your family will disappear someday. One year ago today, we buried my dad. And you know what? I am so at peace about it. Because even the closest people, they will dis disappear in a sense. Only God is the bread of life which will give you eternal life. And friends, you and I look forward into a new year. Here we stand in January. It's all out in front of us. And, and we just have a simple choice to make. Will Jesus be 100% to us? Or will we only give him 75? Or 50? Or something like that? Here's the real jaw dropper. He gives us a choice. How will you choose? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have fed us through your word this morning and that you feed us as we believe in you, as we follow you. Not just intellectually agree with you, but begin to walk in step with you. Begin to prioritize you in our lives with our checkbooks and our date books, our calendars. God, time is so precious and you ask of us to be your disciples and it's gonna take time and I pray that each one of us here today will say yes. I'm willing to give myself to you, Lord. And God, when we do that, I pray that you will pour out the blessings we've seen in this church. We have just seen in the church this week the incredible blessings that you can pour out. God, to me, that is a sign of where we are going as a church. It is exciting to look ahead and see that when we follow you, the God of abundance, that we are headed in a powerful, life-changing, transforming direction. Lord, may this year be the year 
when lives are transformed in huge ways. So we offer ourselves to you today. And we pray it in your name. Amen.